So if you have your Bibles, I would just invite you right now, let's get started if I ever get the iPad thing to open up. Um, go to John, the fourth chapter. We are, um, it still doesn't want to open. It's going to be faster than the thing. We're going to go back to Fatina, and Fatina is that uh, church history, church tradition name of the woman at the well. Remember, we introduced her about two or three weeks ago, and this is one of the longest conversations that Jesus has with anybody. This woman, church tradition has, was an evangelist, even shared the gospel with a daughter of the emperor of Rome. But somehow between 1st century AD and 2022, we remember her as an anonymous woman at the well. Some say the prostitute. Some say the immoral, adulterous, sinful woman. But I don't get that, as I mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, she's been married five times, but Jesus doesn't ask her to repent. He doesn't ask her to confess. He doesn't say, tell all the dark secrets of your life. In fact, he told them to her. And when Jesus, the first time in Scripture that he reveals his identity to someone other than his own disciples, he says, I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. She asked her, could you be that one? I've heard of that. And are you that person? He says, I am who you're talking about. And from that, the name Fatina means to be enlightened or illuminated. She was enlightened by Jesus. Now, we pick up in verse 27. We've gone, I think we had like, this is probably the third sermon on this particular uh, interview, if you will, with her. Uh, we pick up at verse 27. The disciples left Jesus at the well. He was tired, he was thirsty, and they went to get McDonald's or Chick-fil-A or Subway, whatever they had in the local town. And they have come back, and the NIV that I'll read for you in just a second says, they were surprised. The Greek word is amazed. It is blown away. It is unbelievable. Jesus is talking to a woman. Now, interesting, as preachers and scholars and others will say, there were women in his group, obviously. You know, you know some of the ladies' names that traveled with Jesus on, or at least had fellowship, friendship with him. But to talk to a woman publicly was a major cultural faux pas in the Jewish practices of the day. And then to compound it by talking to a Samaritan woman. Not only are you talking to a woman, Lord, you're talking to a woman from this cross-cultural, cross-race ethnicity. If you remember, as I try to highlight, the people of Samaria were those that were left behind when the Assyrians conquered that kingdom in 722 B.C., and after they extracted the professionals and tradesmen, they left, those who were left behind, the Jews who were left behind, intermarried with who the Assyrians brought in as their slaves from other conquered lands. So in the earlier discussion, you've seen Jesus having 
kind of a push back and forth with her saying, you know, you say I should worship here. You Jews say you should worship in Jerusalem, back and forth. And she has found out who he is. She's excited. She's getting ready to leave, and the disciples show up. So that's what we're going to pick up. If you have your Bibles, we're at uh, John 4, the 27th verse. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Isn't that something they finally learned? He's probably got some kind of motive. He knows more than we do. Let's not call him out on this. We'll just go along. Verse 28, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. I mean, we got this McDonald's and Chick-fil-A. He said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. His disciples said to each other, I can imagine. You mean we went into town, he's got food to eat, and he didn't share with us? Could someone else have brought him food? In other words, they're like, why did we go? Verse 34, my food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? That was a Jewish uh, parable of the day. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labors. Let's pray. Lord, I know that this passage is familiar to most of us. Uh, there are elements in it that I think speak to us right now. There are elements in it that convict us. There are elements in it that should strengthen us. And as always, your word speaks to us afresh each time we read it. So I pray that it would speak to these who have heard it today. Give me your words to say. And I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we go into any further into this, or before I even have my first... Uh, uh, point, I'd like to bring to you that verse 28 that we so often skip across. Then leaving her water jar. She, she went to the well to get water. And she got so excited, she left that water jug behind to go tell somebody about Jesus. How many water jugs in our life do we need to leave behind, things that we're carrying, that we look to for salvation, that we look to for self-worth, that we look to for value, but yet they are burning, that's hard for me to say, they are a burden and they are weighting us down from following and telling others about Jesus. I think it says something, too. I mean, there's two or three. Th Most commentators have several comments about this. You know, that means she knew she was coming back. It maybe meant that she wanted Jesus to, to use the cup or use her, you know, water uh, jar. I think it also says to him telling her, I am the living water. She has found that which truly satisfies. And now the water that would quench her physical thirst is irrelevant compared to the water of Christ Jesus. So, 
I have the text set up. Let me go now to what I did say is your first point as the Fatima meets the disciples, and it would be uh, <clears throat> your favorite food, which I started to die about five days ago and blew it totally last night, so I'm back on it again today. But um, what's your favorite food? Prime rib? Who said that? Oh, yeah. Pizza? Uh, yeah, okay. Spaghetti and meatballs. You're not even Italian, are you? I wish I was. I would have better spaghetti. <laughs> okay. Anybody else? Favorites? Shrimp? Tacos? Tex Mex. I love Mexican. Yeah, okay. Hamburgers, chicken. Sushi? Chili? Okay. All right. Now, are you getting hungry? Donuts? I mean, if you just want to go down that track, we can just start. <laughs> Chips, pretzels. He's already leaving. He's going to get something to eat right now. There are, and, and is Trey back there with donuts? So you got donuts back there, Trey? Yeah. Yeah. That's why he's sitting back there because he's thin and he can eat those. But anyway, uh, Jesus tells the disciples that his favorite food is doing the will of the Father. Look at that verse. My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. I doubt many kids here this morning would rather go mow the grass, clean their room, study for the next A, or whatever, versus eating their favorite food. I mean, I know I personally wouldn't. I'd rather eat the favorite food than to do the job. But Jesus is saying, doing my Father's will is more important than eating. And the only way I, I thought, I try to think of multiple ways to try to illustrate that for you today is, have you ever been in a project, whatever it is, maybe, maybe it was a work, maybe it was, I don't know, working on a car, you know, I always think of car things, maybe it was, I don't know, you, something that you're so focused on, you forgot to eat. Some of you men out there going, nope, nope, that's why I bring my lunch to work, it got my little thermos over it, yeah. But there are times in your lives when you're so busy or the priority to do what you're doing is more important than eating. That's the message that Jesus is conveying, that to do the will of my Father is more important than any physical bread, bacon, eggs, potatoes. Sorry, that, that thing comes back out. Um, now, that has a little saying on the bottom there, and I'll try to get to that. Years ago, I got to go with the Air Force to an officer exchange thing uh, in Botswana and Tanzania. And I know most of you out there are saying, boondoggle. Do you understand that term? Boondoggle is kind of like doing something. You, you know what boondoggle is. Yeah, if you've been in the military. or, or are you, I'd say you get that in civilian jobs. It's going on a trip that you probably... Really didn't have to go on, but it was a great thing to go on. And before we went to Botswana and Tanzania, they actually gave us some um, Swahili lessons. Uh, I can say, uh, I think Jumbo means Jumbo means hello. I think that's in, in that night at the museum. Uh, Robin Williams says that to one of the the, uh, the guys in the museum. Uh, and I can say Asante Sana, which means like thank you very much. But uh, beyond that. That's all I remember of that. And uh, sadly, in Botswana, they don't speak Swahili. And they speak that in Tanzania. And they speak some form of uh, Twazana, 
and I can't even pronounce it correctly, but uh, that proverb right there is uh, translated loosely, uh, the fat of a child is to be sent. It comes from the fact that in Botswana, for an elder to ask a child to do something for them is a tremendous honor, something our culture should reclaim. But that's a side note. And to ask a child to go get water is an honor. They trust you to get water, the precious life source. To ask a child to get a chair for, for an elder, that's an honor. Now, so you got to have that concept. To be asked to, to go do something is an honor. The fat part, which is kind of different for me, I mean, most of you would, although prime rib, the fat... I'm so happy you said that because it really connects. The fat on prime rib, it's pretty good. And uh, Pierce knows that Tull and I went to, the, we talked about a lot, that restaurant we went to in Fort Worth, burnt butt ends at a barbecue place. It's basically the fat that had all that caramelized brown sugar and barbecue stuff. I mean, who needs meat? Just eat the fat. And in Botswana, the, the adults, the, the, the senior males, would get the meat first. The other folks would get the, the meat and the fat. And, and when it comes down to the kids, they basically get the gravy. I mean, it gets all the, you know, it's kind of like if you grew up in the house I did, I never got the chicken breast. My mom cut a chicken. Back in the day when you actually cut a chicken in, in portions, anybody, some of you are like, why? They come separated and dissected like that now. But, I mean, we got, I, well, I enjoyed them. I, I got the chicken leg, you know. If you're really hungry, you get the thigh, right? And if you're super hungry, you may eat the wing, but Dad might have got that already. But in any event, to get what was left over was called for the child the fat as well. So the fat of a child is to be sent means, in other words, the joy of a child, the best thing, the fat, the best thing is to be sent. And I think as we look at this passage today, Jesus is telling us to be sent into the field for him is the fat of a child. It is the beauty to be involved not only as the fruit of the Lord, but to be a part of the reaping process, sharing the good news of Jesus with others. Think about it. Our churches need to be involved more so in reaching those around us. We talked about it before we prayed to come in here this morning. This, this sanctuary and, and great, great attendance today, we should have to have multiple services because the harvest is plentiful. In the city of Helotus, the city of San Antonio, across this great state of Texas, we need to continue to be reapers in the field. Because if we don't, here's the last point. And I'm trying to work through this because I know <clears throat> we're a little bit longer today. Reap or rot. Now, some of you say, what do you mean? Well, Fatina, if you remember, in verse 29, she goes back to tell her city about the Messiah. And you see in these verses about uh, 35, probably even 35 all the way to the end, is, or all the way, section of reading today, that these people are coming back. In fact, I've heard many preachers saying that Jesus is watching them walk towards him, and he is saying to the disciples, can you not see that the harvest is plentiful? Side note for Fatina, if she was such a despised woman, how could she have the influence to bring the city in which she lived out to see Jesus? 
We put a lot on her that she should never have. Jesus reminds his disciples that we have a wonderful vantage point of looking at the harvest because we know the truth. And he uses this old proverb that I said, you know, be four months until you get... A lot of commentators will say, well, Jesus must have been doing this in like January and four months later is the harvest. No, it was a common uh, proverb that if you plant four months later, you're probably going to see something. And I'm not a true farmer. I know we did the harvest of hope here, but you know, if you plant something, it's going to take a few weeks, few months before you finally see something. And he's saying, right now, you don't have to wait. The harvest is there. I mean, the, the produce is there, but if you don't reap it, it will rot. During the First World War, Australians supported that, and it was the bloodiest war for Australians to date. Like 10% of the country served. They left wheat in the field in those years, and it rotted because there was no one left to glean it. I think of my own father. My dad in high school worked for my uncle who had, um, he managed an apple orchard. So there were apples and peaches. And that's where we finally, I mean, we lived in that area in Southern Illinois that's pretty popular with a lot of apples and peaches. So dad at one time decided to plant some apple trees and some peaches in our yard. And all I know is I didn't like it because I had something else to mow around. And I didn't like it because even though he knew how to take care of those uh, fruit trees, he didn't. I never saw him prune them. If he did, maybe he did the first year. He never powdered them or sprayed them for bugs. And when they came in to bear fruit, he didn't pick them. So the apples and the peaches, I think the peach trees kind of failed early on. But the apple trees, stayed, they were pretty hardy. They stayed around for a while. And mowing, I would have to mow over these apples that had fallen on the ground. You know, they, they stay on the tree long enough until they finally rot and they fall, fall on the ground. And honeybees love those sweet apples. So mowing is not only, you know, a pain, because it's just, it was. Dad didn't buy riding a lawnmower until I left for college. Think that through. Um, but mowing over the apples and, and the bees that are coming at you makes me think about what happens in our world today. There are people that are so primed to hear the gospel. But if you don't engage them, if you don't get in business of reaping, the bumblebees of the world will take advantage. The stinging of evil will beset upon them because we have not reaped the harvest that Christ has called us to do. Here's a harvest story. I want to play a quick video and then we'll about ready to get out here. Or not get out of here, but we'll turn it over to Pierce for the Lord's Supper. But um, think about this little video. Did it load, guys? I think I put it in there. I mean, like Aaron today. I think I did. I think I did. Nope. We end tonight with what you might call a secret conspiracy. It was in the works for months, and over the weekend, the plot was executed. The invasion of a 1,200-acre farm in Ritzville, Washington, southwest of Spokane, carried out by 60 conspirators, all neighbors of Larry Yaki. It was harvest time for his wheat, but Yaki, who is 63, is battling stage 4 melanoma and could no longer work his fields. When fellow farmers in Adams County found out, they got to work organizing a harvest 
among them Mike Doyle. I'm just glad to be here and help where I can and where I'm needed. The neighbors did three weeks of work in just six hours as Yaki and his wife and their three daughters looked on in absolute awe. It's not describable the gratitude I have for what's going on. A bumper crop of good neighbors in the heart of wheat country. And proof that you can judge the quality of your life by the quality of your relationships. Pretty good line right there at the end. Man, if we only had a bumper crop of Christians out in the fields for the Lord, and if we only had Christians in the pews, I like that one farmer said, I'm just happy to be here, do what I can. Versus, I finally came, what do you got for me? And what was that last line she said, something about the quality of your life will be judged by the quality of your friendships and your relationships? What's the quality of the relationship you have with Jesus? If you truly have accepted him as your Lord and Savior, as Fatina believed him to be the Messiah, you'll want to go tell somebody else about him. You'll want to get busy and get in the field and reap the harvest that Christ is coming for. Stand with me, please, we pray. Lord, as we come now to a time of invitation in this service, and after that, Lord, we'll share in the sweetness of the communion together, but right now, perhaps there's somebody who's never accepted Christ as their Savior. Lord, I'll be standing here. I know members of the prayer team will be here. Perhaps there's somebody who's got something that they want to um, leave here at this altar. Just as uh, Fatina leave, left her uh, water jug there at the well, perhaps there's something we have in our lives that we need to leave behind so we can focus on running with you. Whatever decision there is to make, Lord, let your Holy Spirit move now. And we ask it knowing that Jesus has lifted up these prayers unto you. Oh, Father, amen.